it's Wednesday night and it's time for... Football? Bloody hell! show tonight we got Dave Hilda-Pryor, Ricky Hyatt, Adam Davis, and me, Aidy Hopper. And good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. AD, do you want to just uh, add your version of events Football into that? Football Bloody Hell! Is that better? So I'm never, ever going to be able to get it to that standard. But as you've already heard, um, myself, Dave Pryor, and alongside me this evening on this bank holiday special here on Three Valleys Radio, as you've just heard, is Mr. A.D. Hopper. How are you doing, Aid? Yeah, not too bad, my man. Not too bad. Excellent. Elsewhere, we've got Mr. Ricky Hyatt, who joins us. How are you doing, Rick? I'm all right, mate. Enjoying the sunshine. It's all good. And also uh, joining us from the Yorkshire Dells. I don't know. You tell us. Uh, it's Adam Davis. How are you doing, sir? Evening, everyone. Very well, thank you. Uh, not quite the Yorkshire Dells, but close enough where it sounds better than where I actually am. Question is, have you well, got any sunshine? It's, it's all up north, isn't it? It's just the distant, horrible north. Ah. It does look like, though, you're getting quite a lot of sunlight there in your, in your room there. That's, um, must be quite it, sunny there. I know they, they've decided to turn the sun on, on in Yorkshire today. It's, um, it's not a common occurrence, but I'm very grateful. Mm. Look, look on the bright side about, you know, the north. And Literally. Whatever. At least it's it's not somewhere that Yeovil are going to have to worry about next season, is it? The north of England? I, did, I, didn't, want to want to, I didn't want to watch any games anyway. It's fine. Oh, okay. Well, look at that. You've managed to shoehorn that in beautifully right at the start of the show. So, so smooth, Rick. So smooth. <laughs> so very you. smooth. Um, so Yeovil then did wrap up their uh, National League season uh, with a 1-0 defeat against Boreham Wood. I guess after it's all said and done, the game didn't really matter, did it? Let's be honest. It was a case of, particularly for the fans, just getting one last run out at this level, I suppose, um, is one way you could call it. I'm a bit... Obviously, Adam, you haven't been on for the last few weeks, so it's very difficult to talk about about Yeovil at the moment without going over the same issues that we've been talking about for the last four or five weeks. So I do kind of want to give the listeners a little bit of a break about talking about the ownership because it... <laughs> nothing's changed and you might as well just copy and paste the last four or five podcasts but on the Couldn't flip agree. side of that on the on the flip side of that of course we can't ignore the fact that it has been announced since we last did the podcast that the players haven't been paid on time so we do kind of need to touch on that but it's difficult to touch on that without also talking about the ownership so it's a bit of a catch-22 but adam i'll start with you um all in all, it's just it's just a bit of a mess, isn't it? That's that's probably the polite way of putting it. It's it's just the, I think the worst thing about it is seems this this horrible feeling. Everyone's no not really surprised, and that's that's probably the thing that hurts the most is the fact that we've had so much change whilst also nothing changing. As you as you've rightly highlighted, you know we've we've said the same things even since the last time I was on, which is you know a few weeks ago. Um, it's just disappointing, and there's there's clearly a lot going on in the background that people are very cautious about telling the fans for fear of it going uh, taken out of context. The problem is um, <laughs> things are uh, uh, things are amplified in a vacuum. So the fact we've not been told anything makes things uh, appear so much worse. The, at the end of the day, this is a conversation between two people who 
have had the means or do have the means to to run quite a large organization the people at the bottom players the staff and everyone else involved with Yeovil Town aren't necessarily in that position they should not be the ones being dragged through this to the point where they're not being paid so that I think this is very much a line has been crossed here of whatever is going on continue to sort it out that's fine continue to have the conversations whoever that may be but don't don't uh, put other people's lives at risk as a result yeah I think that's a very very fair statement um boys um ad I'll, I'll start with you obviously it's difficult to say anything different to what you know has been said over the last few weeks so let me shoehorn something else in because obviously uh, last week you uh managed to get an interview with uh mr hellier local businessman of course um connections within um Yeovil itself as a, as a town. Do you want to just uh, give the listeners who haven't had an opportunity to listen to that yet just a little bit of a flavour of um, what was involved in that interview? Yeah, certainly. Um, I think possibly one of the uh, the first the first points I want to make really is I went to the press conference last Thursday, which is the the last, as far as I know, the last scheduled press conference anyway. Um, it was unreal because, you know, we were all, well, I say we, there was only two of us here, yeah, but uh, we were sat there and Mark Cooper came in and and you sort of thought, well, what can I ask him? You know, we've just been relegated. Um, there's there's all sorts of issues going on in the background. Uh, we've got a difficult game against Boreham Wood. Rumour has it that, that several of the players didn't want to play that, that uh, might have played. So it was very difficult to know what to ask him, really. So I, I conjured up a couple of sort of semi-mundane uh, sort of questions, really. Um, but uh, by then, I had spoken to Martin Hellier on the on the old um, in conversation, and uh, to be fair, he he's taken a bit of stick, I gather, for perhaps sometimes um, his his tone of voice, albeit on Twitter. Uh, well, I found him very straightforward, I have to say. He answered the questions I wanted to. He he put forward his own views, and and the main one was that, you know, it, it wasn't a question of he might have had, for I know, ten million pounds sat in front of him, and he was quite willing to spend it on Yeovil Town. He couldn't because Mr. Priestnell does not get back to him. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. He's completely sort of almost cut himself off from from society, which is an unreal situation if he's trying to sell it then there are people around who are in a position to negotiate with him for the money that he might want. Um, but if he doesn't talk to him, of course, it's not going to happen, is it? So I think he is completely um, bamboozled by the by the attitude that's coming along. And then we, we got as far as South Somerset District Council. Of course, you know, in their case, the silence is deafening. So the two main players that you would presumably need to speak to... Um, are just you know they're just not there so you know it's it it is we use the word frustrating but it, it is frustrating it's it's extremely frustrating i mean there are rumors that tomorrow tuesday something's going to happen but again we've had these rumors going on for the last what 18 months i suppose off and on so i can't exactly say i'm going to sit here and you know, hold my breath for something to happen tomorrow because I'm not going to. So yeah, it's 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 very very. It's it's just a sad demise of a great club at the moment, and and you know, surely somebody's got the the integrity to come up and and let's get hold of this thing and get it sorted once and for all. Yeah, and if the listeners haven't um, heard that interview yet, you can still get it um, on the Three Valleys Radio website. Just go to the podcast section. And uh, you'll be able to find that and uh, and see what you think uh, from that point of view. Uh, Rick, I'm going to come to you next. Um, after it's all that's said and done, and we've done a lot of that over the last couple of weeks, despite being a uh, Yeovil Town related radio station, is it just quite nice that we can just draw a line under this season? As a whole, we know that some of it's going to drag on over to the summer anyway. But just we can start to just park one part of the of this um, journey, if you like, and then we can just sort of focus on what's going to happen next. 
Well, the only thing we can actually park is the uh, disappointing run of results, isn't it? All the other nonsense carries on ad finitum. And it's, it's just sad. It's really sad that the people that suffer the most out of this are the people that don't deserve to. As Adam said, people whose livelihoods are dependent on it, the supporters, us to an extent, because we get time and effort that everybody puts into supporting Yeovil. And the ones that... Um, could change things, don't seem to have the inclination to do it. And as soon as South Somerset District Council got involved, have they ever done anything right, ever? Have they fulfilled anything of their obligations at any point? Look at the uh, infrastructure of Yeovil. These are the people that we're relying on to make a decision with a football club as well. No surprise there whatsoever. They're, they're just not fit for purpose. I mean, my, um, ca- my council tax doesn't go down, if that's anything to go by. <laughs> And you're getting even less for it. If I can just dive in there a minute, Rick. Um, You you mentioned the fact that, obviously, you know, it's the people who don't deserve to be penalised in all of this, the players and the staff. Well, obviously, uh, I I saw the press officer. This was on Thursday. He knew by then that he wasn't going to be paid. But nobody had officially, from from the, the staff or the club or owners, had come to him and said, look, you know, I'm sorry about this, chaps, but... There's a bit of a problem, cash flow, and uh... doesn't that make doesn't that make it worse? It's like everything we've talked about about this whole situation. It's all guesswork. Yeah. Nobody who's involved in the process has actually got the bollocks to stand up, with good news or bad news, and actually front up and say something and take responsibility for what they've done. Mm. It's all innuendo and whispers, and it's nonsense. Yeah, exactly. And um, Adam, I'll, I'll I'll come to you next, mate. Is there some sort of <laughs> not? I guess irony to an extent that we're almost 20 years to the day that Yeovil Town's journey in the Football League um, began. And it's been quite the 20 years, hasn't it? I mean, particularly for the likes of you and I, no effect, offence, boys. But that's how we have probably known Yeovil Town to be in and around uh, the Football League. Obviously, uh, as I say, it's been 20 years of being in and around it and until they find themselves back down again but um the fact that the anniversary of 20 years on has also coincided with when they've gone all the way back down again is quite telling isn't it i think i think it is it's um i think it it links actually to the lack of communication from anyone really that we're, we're so desperately trying to hold on to anything anything good or just anything associated with the oval town that we want to remember it as the last 10 years have been uh, turbulent, of which the last year to two years has been even more so through various different means. Whichever way you look at it, it's four relegations in 10 years. And if I had a pound for every time someone's come up to me going, weren't they in the championship 10 years ago? I'd have probably paid off my entire student loan. So it's it's one of those that's, that's difficult, but we can look on the memories of when Yeovil was going in the right direction, probably when, you know, when a certain A.D. Hopper was at the helm of everything good about Yeovil Town, <laughs> uh, which, which, of course, goes without saying. But the thing that... Adam, I, there is a correlation between Yeovil going down and A.D. leaving the football club. I think we've got to, you know, that isn't there. Actually, if you, if you, want, to, if you want to mention it, uh, Hilda, there is a correlation between A.D. arriving at the football club and the success starting <laughs> as well. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to go as far as putting my professional integrity as linking that correlation, but I'm just going to leave it there. I'm just going to leave it there as something for the listeners know. to decide. Precisely that. But the thing that I, I think we need to hold on to is that we talk about the great things of Yeovil have come from this. You've got to remember about the 105 odd years that happened before then, where we were a top end non-league club for various different reasons. We couldn't get into the football league because of politics more than anything. But it was we were a high-performing National League club that has got an amazing history about amazing things, and we're all very, very proud of that. We're disappointed about how things have gone, but the overwhelming thing for me is the fact that I want to go into next year and for the rest of my life as a Yeovil supporter, knowing that Yeovil will be there. No matter what form it is, no matter what league we're in, I will still be a Yeovil Town fan. It will be significantly harder if Yeovil doesn't exist in some ways, as some people have somewhat speculated over the last 
week or two in particular, uh, in- including Martin Hellier on this very radio station. So as long as there is a Yeovil Town for me to support, I think people will continue to fight for it and be very proud of it. And you never know, we might even see a winning season. We've seen one season where we've seen more wins mm. than losses in 10 years. I would love to be able to come onto this programme you know, in six months' time and go, weren't we good today? Okay, it doesn't matter who it is. I just want to see a win. I'm sick of seeing just L's next to Yeovil Town fixture results, no matter where I am in the country. I want to be able to sit there and generally go, you know what? I am going to spend all day on the train going down to the arse end of London and what have you. That's what I want to do because we're actually seeing wins as opposed to going home miserable as we have done in the past. I mean, it's a fair point. You, you mentioned about the form table and the amount of L's. Our, um, our recent form table does look like a town in Wales somewhere, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, we've, picked the second, we've picked up the second least amount of points for the second half of the season behind Maidstone. Uh, whichever way you look at it, that's pretty miserable, miserable viewing. That's, that's difficult to be a part of, to feel, to feel proud of. But as we say, we, we can put a line under the sand if we can truly trust whoever leads the club into the summer and beyond, um, if they can genuinely say they've got the club at heart, we can actually rebuild and have a half decency. I don't think anyone realistically says we're going to bounce back immediately, not given the situation. But if I can sit there and go, we pushed for playoffs in the National League South, we had some good away days and, we, and I was able to go to some really weird places to go watch football with the club I support, that's what we want. That's what we want to hold on to. Adam, can I ask you a question a minute? Um, of course. We, we've heard the word, the dreaded word administration bandied around. Um, I, I kind of know roughly what it means and the implications of it, but could you just explain to us, I think you've probably got the, the necessary knowledge on your fingertips, exactly what what administration entails? So administration is simply where you are no longer able to pay all that you owe to relevant parties and effectively you go right that's it we've got no more money what that will then do is it hires uh, a set of a company which are administrators to effectively take control so what we would do is whoever is in charge let's say it is still technically personal personal would no longer be in charge of the club the the owners uh, have and Stuart Robbins would lose his share the whole lot it would be the administrators would come in and their job is to try and sell the club on for the best possible price. The reason for this is to pay off all the creditors, anyone that is owed any money by Yeovil Town. As a minimum, you have to pay HMRC and you have to pay all football creditors, which means you have to pay the players. After that, it's a little bit harder. So, uh, unfortunately, non-footballing creditors, let's say uh, the, 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 the catering team that will provide the food on a match day, that isn't necessarily have to be repaid, but if they can, they will do. The idea is to try and get the best possible price. You would likely be able to wipe all the debt, but you'd also not necessarily own anything either. So that's what administration would mean, is that we would effectively completely start afresh. On the footballing side, that would likely mean that every player who is technically under contract can rip up their current contract, no matter how many years they've got left on the deal, because it's a breach of contract from the player's side of the club side that they can no longer pay what they're entitled. So everyone could work out, walk out if they wanted. The other point, the important point, is that you would go into the season have with a minus 12-point deduction. So we would start the day, we would start the year on minus 12 rather than zero. That doesn't necessarily always guarantee relegation, but in the vast majority of time, uh, it makes it 10 times more difficult. Uh, but plenty of, uh, plenty of clubs have done it uh, with a small um, disadvantage of well, points, of course. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Well, yeah, very well explained, because like you say, it could well be um, a distinct um, possibility. I'm going to move away from the ownership um, chat now, just purely because, like I say, we've touched on it over the last few weeks. And at the moment, it's very much copy and paste until we know any more as and when an announcement is made on that side of things. But the final point I want to make um, on Yeovil, Rick, I'll come to you, is that um, there was a great escape in the National League South this weekend. And it was Yeovil's bit of rivals in Weymouth that won yeah. 2-0 over Dover, which actually suited Dover because they could have been in danger going down themselves. But 
they actually managed to stay up by the skin of their teeth. From a Yeovil fan's perspective, Rick, do you think as much as maybe that we might not want to admit it, that we're actually quite happy that they've survived because we've got an extra little bit of spice in those two games next season? Definitely. If you listen to my son and all his little mates who uh, who go to Yeovil games every week, he's sort of got he picked the wrong year to get involved in uh, supporting Yeovil, but he was delighted about it because it does. It just adds that extra bit of spice to one of the fixtures next season. And... Um, yeah, hopefully uh, it just means that it's six more points for Yeovil and Weymouth will get a pass for us. <laughs> uh, that's the thing, AD, isn't it? I mean, if we just look, if we can be positive about something or have a bit of optimism, Torquay, Bath, Taunton, Western Supermare, Weymouth, there's some big games next season. Yeah, there is. From a, you know, It brings up the question, really, is it better to be a big fish in a small pond? Um, and, and that's kind of what I would would liken it to, and uh, yeah, and I think you know you've got a, a you've got a, a, a pretty good chance that the gates will go up rather than down because there's as you say you called out all those teams that they're, they're you know they're within spitting distance of, of Hewish Park so you're going to get a good crowd I would have thought so maybe purely from a financial point of view in the future um, you know it's not looking quite so so desperate as it might do but purely from the point of view of, of sort of pride in your club and and you know football one-upmanship you know any relegation is horrible isn't it it's dreadful nobody likes think... it um it's just it's about the th- third one i think that i've been involved with with the oval and it's horrible it's it's an awful feeling you know and uh... haven't we adrian, adrian we think we have established that they're not all your fault no, not all my fault. Two, maybe, but not, not three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think I think you've actually I think you've highlighted the right point there, AD, Is that it's it's all about pride. Mm. That's the whole that's the whole point of supporting any football club is that you feel proud with the connection to it. If we, as I say, remove the ownership aside, what it does is we can now be. It has local pride once more. Once you go into national football and, and to the higher echelons and you're, you're playing all over the country, you, you're playing for the pride of necessarily the West Country as a whole. But actually, this can be local pride. This can be Somerset pride or, or even, you know, a very specific part of Somerset when we go into the likes of, of Taunton and Bath and things. And, and I think that's I think that has its own special allure. It might get a bit tired after about three or four years of it if we if things don't go <laughs> the way we want to. But. But for a period, I think it'll be it'll be really exciting to to talk about Yeovil playing in these in these um, more local um, derbies. Really, I think it's actually a really exciting part that we we have to hold on to when everything else looks so bleak. And of course, we go into a lot of the games. Uh, one would like to think as as, as favourites to win purely because of the fact that you know we are in in the confines of this league. We're a big club. Um, I'm sure there's quite a few of the teams in there will probably argue that point with me, but you know I don't think there are many teams in the conference, uh, nationwide. What's it called? Nation National League South. National League South. Yeah, I'll get there in a minute. Get used to that, AJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> NLS. Uh, oh yeah, okay. Um, anyway, yeah, but I'm, are there any teams in there that have been in the championship before? I doubt it. I can't think of any. No. So you know we're going to be favourites on the basis of our history, if nothing else. That was very defiant, Adrian. I doubt it. Almost the interest I've been out there. I doubt it. I doubt it very much indeed. Mm. Yeah, so, I think obviously in the north, you've got Scunthorpe that were in the championship, obviously gone down to the north. The biggest challenge for Yeovil, I guess, will be that you would expect Torquay to be right up there. And the fact that only one goes up automatically, then, you know, it's going to be absolutely no given if. I doubt anyone was actually thinking that Yeovil will, you know, run away with the league or anything like that because, you know, we've still got a huge summer ahead and you don't even know what kind of players and squad you're going to be looking at or indeed management team uh, come the start of the season. But objectively looking, you would probably expect Yeovil and Torquay to be a couple of amongst the favourites, Adam. I, I would agree. And I think because we simply know nothing about players, management, ownership about it. You, you can never be truly um, 
certain. But if we came out of that and, and ended up in a decent playoff run, and we didn't necessarily get promoted, but we, as I say, we saw a winning season, I think mm. the vast majority of people could be could be quite proud of that. To then to then ask rightfully ask questions of of the board and everything, go right, okay, we've solidified, we've sorted all the problems out. What's next? Because whoever comes in, they have to be able to actually give us a plan. We're not necessarily expecting miracles, and those that are expecting miracles or expecting immediate success. That's, I, I would argue, haven't necessarily seen everything through. But if we can show genuine ambition and actually go, we are trying and this is how we're going to improve it. And, and the ground improves and the players improve and the, and the feel around the club improves. That's enough for me, really. So moving on then from regional football to the very top of the football pyramid. Um, Not talking about Liverpool. Then. Well, <laughs> we'll get to that. As I um, oh I said to, my hamstring hurts, Adrian. <laughs> don't be so rude. Well, Liverpool four, Tottenham three. Then, um, Hilda, Rick, Hilda, is that why you have got that annoying cardboard cutout behind you this week? Because it got a bad hamstring and you've had to sit it down. <laughs> no, he's actually um, he's. Is in interrogation actually with the FA, so he's in another room being uh, uh, <laughs> being spoken okay. to by the powers that be. But um, yeah, Liverpool four, Tottenham three. Decisions, managerial bust-ups, a hamstring pull, um, the epitome of Liverpool's season of how good and bad it all was in the same game, and also Spurs being Spurs, Rick, still at the end, <laughs> at the end of all that. Um, how Spursy can you be? That was kind of what happened, wasn't it? It was an element of all of those things. Yeah, it was. It was. It was carry on Premier League for a bit. There, it was absolute farce. Have you seen the the social media clip of the? You know, every every club have these dreadful uh, fan cams, and they do watch alongs where they do the commentary. Mm-hmm. The two little geeks that do Spurs, are oh, bless them! Oh, they were they they were worth watching. Just just watching that last clip. Their little faces as they dropped. It was uh, it was well worth well worth watching. But um, yeah, it's two clubs. Spurs conceded three in the in the first fifteen minutes. Who'd have thought that Liverpool don't get a shot on target until the bloke who should have been sent off scores in cloppy time. It's it's amazing. And just just the thing about um, that that thing about whether Jota should have got sent off or not. Had that been Casemiro, I don't think he'd have got out of prison for six months. No, probably not, Rick. <laughs> I think it goes without saying, I think we all agree that um, Jota was a little bit lucky to not get sent off for kicking Well, apparently Stevie in the Wonder head. and Ray Charles have both reviewed the footage and they both agree. <laughs> <laughs> mm, nice one, Rick. Yeah, David Blunkett as well had his opinion, did he, Rick? Uh, yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. His dog was very <laughs> Um, the other one, which was Skip on Diaz, I think, I think they said a, about it a lot over the weekend that a yellow card probably would have been the right thing because yeah. it was the one that he just got wrong. It was more mistimed. Well, having, having said that, you go back to Casemiro, like I, I foolishly mentioned before. How different was that to the one where he got sent off in the, in, in the in the Premier League? It only seems to happen to him, but. I'll take your poor Tierney, Mr. Klopp, and I will raise you Andre Mariner. <laughs> if ever there was a bloke with a vendetta against one club, it's that idiot in United. So whatever Klopp was going through, been through it worse, mate. Well, just, just on that, um, AD, I'll come to you. It's good that we have these horrible decisions and and stuff that you think are blatantly obvious that get missed, because then... You know, we wouldn't have half as much to talk about. It's one of those, isn't it? Well, I, I agree. Of course, it, it gives us uh, ammunition for the show. Uh, of course it does. But <laughs> but at, at the time, and you're sat there and you're absolutely at boiling point, fuming, how could he miss that? Um, it's not so clever, is it, really? The thing is, with Varmat, though, eh? it's not just once, it's twice, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it's little... Stockton Park, or wherever it is, mm. they, they, they mm. miss it as well. So you can't win. What what are these people watching? No, I mean it just makes you wonder. You know why? It can't be a coincidence that there are so many incidents where VI, VAR get it wrong. 
It, it, it's this. There's got to be. I don't know. Are they afraid to give the decisions? Are they afraid that if they give a decision and then referee on the pitch doesn't give the same decision, uh, that causes controversy? I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it is very frustrating. I'm gonna just curve the conversation slightly, not taking away from your point because I do agree, but also at the same time we'll be in danger of VAR bashing every week as well, which the listeners probably will get bored of just as much as we get bored of having to go sit through it every every weekend watching the football. But Have you got some breaking Adam, news then? <laughs> no, should I? We don't we don't tend to break news on this podcast, well, do we? I just, we have you know, a couple the way of you days. said, look, I've got to stop you there. So I thought, here it is, <laughs> breaking news coming. <laughs> no, not at all. But, you know, VAR chat, it's every week, Adam, isn't it? I mean, we've got to be... You know, it gets to a point now where we just have to accept that they've missed it and move on, which is probably why I think Ryan Mason and Klopp kind of came to blows in more than one occasion on Sunday because they were just riled up on the decisions that they thought they should have got. I think that's I think that's the case of whoever's in charge of any club anywhere across the country is that their emotions are dictated by how their team plays, how their opponent plays and how the referee plays. It's um, it just happens to be we happen to have more cameras looking at it in the Premier League. Um, I do feel slightly left out that I wasn't allowed to join in the VAR bashing, but I do agree with you that it's um, <laughs> it, it's it's quite quite you, common. You bash um, ahead, mate. You bash ahead if you want to have no, a bash. I, you go go for it. I I have a lot of views on it, and it was all very frustrating. And I think the for me personally, it's the inconsistency of of it all, really. And 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 that's and that's always what riles anyone up. So, so the fact that the inconsistency still remains, the fact that it seems so prevalent every single week, it's not related to one particular referee or, or one particular set of camera angles or one particular club even. It's, it just seems to be still slightly, uh, what's the word? It's poorly thought through. I, I, I quite like how they do it in rugby union where you can visibly hear the conversation and that's another thing that I think is really, really important. Is transparency, isn't it? Well, that's that's it. Is if you can yeah. actually justify what your decision is, no matter what that decision is, you yeah. have a little bit more understanding. It removes probably eighty percent of the frustration for a lot of people. Yeah. Is that they don't necessarily. There will still be a, a a small minority who will be livid, no matter what it is, any point at any time. Of course, they will. But if you can actually just provide a little bit more communication on why that decision has taken place, where it's not being manipulated by uh, own players or own staff about, you should see it my way in these different ways, um, which is probably putting it more politely than they do. Um, I think it would go a long, long way to, to dealing with these problems. You don't necessarily hear about issues about TMO. Not nearly. It doesn't dominate conversation nearly as much as it does in football. And it was never designed to do so. So it's it's just, uh, it needs a few more tweaks over the summer. This is what we do. Mic up the referees. And I think we would see an entirely different game. So seeing as we've opened up the can, that is uh, VAR. Can we, just a thought, just before we move Go on, on Rick. Just, just a thought, going with what Adam said. Can we mic up the fourth officials as well? Because apparently they're getting an awful lot of abuse. I mean, all so, you've got to do is look at the videos and see that they quite clearly are. And um, oh. it's something I noticed. Even the worrying thing for me is it's actually it's horribly um, sifting down into the lower leagues of football. Now, oh, I, well, this is it is that every uh, I watch York City an awful lot through work and I sit there and, and every time there's anything close to a free kick for either team, the manager or this more often the assistant manager is walking over to the referee going, let's put it politely. Why was that given then? And it's everything. And it gets really, really tiring. And the referees just look at it and go, I'm, I'm as fed up with this as you are. So let's just all let's all just move on a little bit more. It's, and, it's, Adam, it's just on that, pit, that just on that point, is that something that should go both ways? And what I mean by that is because of Klopp's comments about um, Tierney and the fourth official, they've came out with a statement, which I thought was really bizarre, really. Um, to me, as I saw it, because they came out and said, we've reviewed the recording and he act professionally. Oh, so you're not going to show us the recording. We're just going to take your word for it, are we? So that's fine. Like that's I understand that it was probably reviewed, but surely 
they can't just put out a statement and say we've reviewed it and it's fine and that's okay. Surely there has to be a bit more evidence to that. No, oh, completely. I think the the worst one is when they've admitted that they've got a decision wrong. Where nobody ever seems to be happy, no matter what the response is. Uh, let's say the PGMOL, obviously the guys that look after the referees, say nothing after a particularly controversial game. People go, "Why aren't they saying anything?" They, they, you know, we can tell they've made a decision. Why haven't they said anything? And then they come out and go, "Yeah, we got that one wrong. Very sorry about that. I can't believe that you've admitted that you've got this wrong. We should have all been able to move on." Well, th th there's no winning, but it's it has to be the thing that's completely lost. Um, certainly for what I've seen, is the lack of respect between them all. It's it's constant yeah. one-upmanship of, of, okay, um, okay, we've not played particularly well. Klopp's come out and gone, let's blame the referee. Not the fact that they've conceded three against a really inconsistent Tottenham side and look really, really likely to, to lose it completely based on how things were going. Well, I've got to protect the players because this is something that Ferguson was particularly good at and, and was often... Uh, praised for and lots of, and Wenger did the same and all the top quality managers protect the players couldn't agree more that's a really important thing particularly in the modern world of of mental health and protection that's incredibly important but don't throw the ref under the bus for the same reasons don't then go okay well I'm not going to be mean to my players but I'll be mean to someone else instead stop being mean just actually have a structured debate about it all and go I would like to have spoken to the ref about these particular points I would like some more clarification. The, the PGMOL come out with go, here is the clarification they've asked for. This is in the public interest. And we all move on. Just on, on that, though, Adam, you, you made a good point about Ferguson. But was that not more right for its time? And what I mean by that is because football's evolved so much, if you come out and protect your players now, I mean, everything's all multi-camera and everything's on social media. What I don't know if it has possibly the same impact so if ferguson was managing now rick i'll ask you do, you do you think he would have to adapt his approach with how he as adam says protects his players because people just see right through it now and we have these conversations like we are just having about club i think that um alex ferguson's legacy will remain as it is because he isn't involved in this i think he probably would have been the worst culprit of it and Trust me, I love what that man did for my football club, but um, he was of his time. I think I think the the it's best summed up. But Ron Atkinson, uh, somebody asked him about a referee one time, and he said that um, it was a policy of his not to uh, mention referees in the press, and he wasn't going to change his policy for that idiot out there. To um AD, I'll come to you, not because Rick just mentioned about an idiot. There's no correlation between that and me coming to you next. It wasn't so his fault. It's not his fault. Leave <laughs> him alone. Um, they, make, they make a good point, though, um, don't they, Rick and Adam, that it's very much a case of managers wanting to come out and protect their players, but maybe we're at a point now where, like I say, there's so much access to football now that football fans can just see right through it, and it doesn't really matter as much as it once did about what managers do say in these press conferences? I think that the thing, though, is that, you know, it's the effect it has on us, you know, the fans, us, I'm one of them, all right? People might think I'm not, but I am. And Rick's the same. And you're the same with Liverpool. Doesn't time fly when you're having fun? Now, what was I saying? Yes, I was going on about, you know, when I sit there and, and these, I mean, we all know referees are human and they do make mistakes. Uh, but I think I think they could perhaps um, change the whole situation if the, the Football League or Football FA, whoever it is, uh, would, would let them come out afterwards and answer a few questions about some of the decisions they'd made. Because then I think supporters like me that are absolutely steaming because a decision has been made that's cost my team the goal, then, you know, I, I'm gonna, I, he's going to explain it to me rationally after the game. Um, I think that would help a lot. Be honest. Don't you think? Don't you think, though, Adrian, if that happened, that basically they would just get a barrage of negativity after a game? I think Adam's point, which I've, I've been banging on for a long time, is, I think is absolutely right that you should mic them up during the game, and even if they make decisions you don't agree with, at least you you hear the process that it goes through, and then that would answer a lot of the questions that they wouldn't have to face up in a different context at the end of a game because it would just be 
Well, on that point, Rick, let's link that to another game that that happened this weekend because you had Crystal Palace. Another smooth thing. Crystal Palace 4. I've been doing this a while now. Crystal Palace 4, West Ham 3. You can talk about decisions and aid about your frustration. Well, Free Valley's radio's very own Mr. Brummel will probably be seething about the uh, the penalty that was given for the fourth Crystal Palace goal. Um, first of all, did you see it? And second of all, after, as we've just touched on already, with the multiple angles and different people at Stockley Park and in the stadium who were looking at it, how did they come to a decision that that was a foul? Well, I didn't see it, so I'm not really in a position to comment on that one. <laughs> were you in Stockley Park? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I missed it. <laughs> Adam, did you see it? I saw it, and uh, from what match the day showed, I, I thought it was penalty. Oh, well, I, I thought it was. I th- I think they caught his leg and out he went. So it's caught his leg. Yes, I might be thinking the wrong goal, but uh, <laughs> it's this is the thing that I get so annoyed on. Where was it? Was it Eze that was going through and Agard oh. just kind of brushed his hand over him? And I'm definitely thinking the wrong the goal. Then area. move on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely thinking the wrong goal. Rick, um, did you see it? <laughs> I yes, uh, name me a softer penalty ever. I'll wait. The, it was ridiculous. Absolutely, well, you, you okay. might be waiting a while, Rick, because none of us were there to see it. Apparently, <laughs> no. In this case, you'll have to take my word. Mr. Brum will be shouting in this podcast, saying it was never a penalty. <laughs> of course, Mr. And, because well, Mr. Brummel is is uh, lives across the road from me. You know, he'll be getting an, an advanced copy of it because he's so desperate to listen to what's been said. Well, it's, you know, he'll be right for once. Mm. <laughs> Definitely. But again, regardless of, you know, whether you saw it or not, it was a key decision involving probably not two teams now because Palace look like they're on their way to safety now by hitting 40 points. But West Ham, last week, it was a good week. Suddenly this week, it's not quite such a good week because they lost to Liverpool in midweek as well and it just turns around so quickly doesn't it Adam? Oh it, it, it does the whole uh, particularly when there are so many teams so close it's it's all to do with momentum and that if you can actually string two or three wins together suddenly it's fine I think on, if, if you set out all the teams on paper the likes of Bournemouth and the likes of Crystal Palace don't necessarily look like the teams that are going to be the most informed teams but they are Roy Hodgson has done wonders that I'm pretty sure not even Roy Hodgson knows what he's done, but he, he's done it. So it's um, I think it's really exciting to, to to see them, particularly when I'm not involved with any of the teams there. The I don't I think for pretty much all of them, uh, the end of the season cannot come soon enough. I think they've all I think all of them have significantly gone greyer. Um, I think Sellers at Southampton, if he wasn't bold already, he certainly was by the end of the season because even <laughs> they're not even they're not out of um, out of say uh, well they're not guaranteed relegation. That's what I meant to say um, because of how tight it is. Uh, two or three wins links it together, and everyone goes, "Oh yeah, of course they were fine," because the history books will read that they finished twelfth, not that they finished three points above the drop. Mm. Well, if Bournemouth is still involved, then that means that Chelsea are. Because they're on the same number of points now. Well, if we go for the magic 40-point mark, Chelsea yep. haven't reached that. Which is, They've for me personally, I have, fans who are, I, have, I have friends that are Chelsea fans. And needless to say, I've absolutely loved it. Yeah. Well, they've been, they've been, they can count themselves lucky, Chelsea, that the teams below them have all been taking points off each other. And I think that's why they've managed to sort of stay where they are. Whereas I think over the next couple of weeks, they could play... Arsenal, don't they, on Tuesday, um, yeah. that you might then start to see um, teams um, overtake them. I just want to talk about what Adam just touched on there, about you might look at teams now that might think that they're already on the beach. And I think that might have happened to Wolves because they had a great win over Palace in midweek and suddenly the talk was, yeah, you're probably safe now, probably safe now. And it was actually Brighton that made significant changes and my goodness, Rick, Wolves didn't even turn up at all. Who knew that a seagull could take out a wolf? The things you learn. It's every, every day is a school day. 
And that was but, a mauling, wasn't it? Oh, it was a very, it was hilarious. Um, but and frustrating because uh, if anybody plays fantasy football, all the people that scored points for Brighton were unknown people that have come out of the out of the squad, and nobody had them. I certainly didn't. They weren't in my team. Do you think but that was go, a case again, though of of Wolves I, switching off? I, th- I think it's it, it's it's an illustration of just how well run a football club Brighton are because you look at the names that weren't involved; they're the prime targets for a lot of the other Premier League teams to come in and 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 buy in the summer, and then Brighton are quite happy about that because they make a shed load of money and they've already got equivalent replacements lined up as they as they showed at the weekend. I shouldn't worry about uh, that... Brighton and money though because Mr. Bloom is an extremely good. Um, professional gambler. I'm reading a book at the moment which tells me all about it. So uh, don't cry for him. He's got more than enough stashed away, I reckon. I wasn't going to, but he's, he's very good. He has more than one string to his bow then, Adrian. Yeah, he has, definitely. He's got two or three. He's in markets, bow. horses. Um, well, Steve, po- Steve Ratter touched on Steve Ratter touched on a couple of weeks ago about how um, Adam, you might know more about this, but his venture was Union saint Gilles in Belgium has really taken off and they find themselves, if they're not top of the Belgian league, they must be close. And in the quarter, oh no, they got knocked out, didn't they, at the quarterfinal stage um, of the Europa League. But that's not bad going considering it's the first season, in, first season in Europe, I think, Adam. It certainly was. It was their first season back in the Belgian Pro League was the year before that they actually got promoted into Europe. They've been in the um, in the second and third division for many, many, many years. A uh, bit of Belgian football history for you is that they actually are one of the most successful teams in Belgian history. The fact I don't think they've won the title since something like the end of the Second World War. So we are talking quite a, a long time ago. But the, the, the system works is that... Um, for me, Tony Bloom is is the uh, the link to him being a professional gambler. I think is actually crucial because he knows how to calculate risk, and that's and that's the overwhelming thing with all of this is that they play as good football as the richer teams because they've got the right players in. What they've done is they've spent less money to do it. Something that we should highlight though is he hasn't done it. Uh, it's not. Uh, Running football is not easy because he's still ploughed four hundred million into well, since he bought Brighton. Okay, yes, he's built the Amex with that as well. But four hundred million pounds are currently owed to Tony Bloom since he came in, and that's supposedly one of the smaller teams that have done it well and done it quickly. You know, Luton Town are meant to be the best team in the Championship financially, and they lost ten million pounds this summer uh, or last year. This is it's it's so difficult to get these things right, of which they happen to have got a lot of them right at the same time. Uh, I think the the idea of we've lost one or we'll bring in others, it, it's brilliant. Using Saint-Jouar is a really good example of that. Everyone's gone, wow, Matoma's was really good. Yeah, brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant for Saint-Jouar last year. It's just nobody had bothered to look. So it's it's a really effective system when done well. Uh, and then no wonder if loads of big people want to emulate. So just on that fact then, AD, if you're reading the book um, about... Um, the gambler does that mean that is it an audio book age that... <laughs> what's that is it an audio book no it's not it's called Gamb- gambling all my life i think it is it's by a guy okay. called harry finley well i just wanted to ask if that meant that all the um the value of three valleys radio are going to go on 21 red in vegas would you say aid <laughs> oh, i'd have to work the odds out mate and I'm not very good Worth at that. a punt. <laughs> I'd have to work the odds, as I say. But it's a, it's a very interesting... There's so much, you know, I've got to have my fiver on a horse in the bookies or on Skybet. But when you see some of the sort of uh, the figures banded around and, and how they do it and how they work it all out is, is amazing. It's way above my intellectual value, I'm afraid. Well, I think it's fair to say who isn't worth putting a fiver on at the moment. And to the delight of Rick, that will be Leeds United because... Mm. That was another pumping for Bournemouth. We spoke in the last couple of weeks about how impressive Bournemouth have been and how good a job Gary O'Neill's done. Rick, at the time of the appointment and at least one or two results afterwards, we were saying about how quietly Leeds United have just about managed to find a sensible manager. But yeah, tipping goals left, right and centre. Well, they don't just concede one, do they? 
Well, to the point, Rick, where we've never, ever seen before a graphic about how many teams, are, <laughs> um, how many goals a team has conceded in one month. But Leeds United have provided us with that because they've shipped so many in April. Yeah. To light. It's, it's the old old thing, isn't it? If you keep a clean sheet, you only got to score one to win. What's at least got to score on average about six or seven goals in a game to get a point. They are in free four, and I would be amazed if uh, they got out of it. And if they don't get out of it, uh, there's there's party around my house because we we, we do we do like seeing Leeds in the championship. We say, we talk about it every week because it keeps changing. Um... Adam, I'll come to you. At the moment, is it now looking like, as it stands, Southampton, Forest, and Leeds? I I would agree. I, I think I think it is. I think they're the squads that have the the most lack of. Even a plan. though Leicester and Everton have work to do and play each other at the time of recording, they do. And I, the difference, I think, is actually just the general squint, uh, strength of the squad, which is is rather. De- Leicester have been poor. Everybody knows this. They wouldn't be in 19th or whatever they were prior to the game week without it. But James Madison can pull something out of nowhere, as can Yuri Tielemans, as can Harvey Barnes when he's fit. And that's three players that suddenly going, OK, a few few wins, and we all go... It goes back to the point earlier. They'll sit in 14th, and, and the history books will completely forgot it ever happened. Everton, I think, just have enough as well, but I wouldn't... It would be... I think it would be really close for Everton. I think Everton, uh, Leicester can still get away... I think Everton are going to really, really struggle. It might even go down to the final day. Likely, for me personally, between them and Leeds, is that Leeds, yes, are continue to free-fall. Forest started it a bit earlier, their free-fall, so they're sort of slightly further down. And, and Southampton, uh, unless... What we've shown is that you cannot rely on one player for five years and just expect everything to be OK, because Ward-Prowse can only do so much. And unfortunately, I think the luck's run out. You look at Southampton at the weekend, 1-0 up at half-time against the Saudis, and then the wheels fell off big time. It's, it's, you've got to do it for 90 minutes, haven't you? They yeah, get themselves in good positions. That's, and that, I think that's what's the most frustrating thing. And I imagine if you were a Southampton fan, it must be so irritating to go, we are so close, but we just it, nothing's quite clicked together. And the problem is the sands of time are too fast for them that they probably go, oh, well, we'd be all right if we had another month. Well, unfortunately, we don't. So it's it's going to be, a, um, I think it's a really difficult one. I think relegation, absolutely catastrophic to Southampton. It would be even worse for Everton. Uh, and um, it would be bad for Leeds, apart from anyone that actually doesn't like Leeds, which I think is every other club in the country. <laughs> oh, Don what? Revy, what a legacy you left. It's yeah, it's it's truly fantastic. As as I say, I, um, as you've already highlighted, I'm in the glorious part of Yorkshire uh, that is basically anywhere except Leeds, and uh, I've watched a lot of clubs in Yorkshire this season, and it's remarkable. Okay, yes, fans have uh, basically all the same chance. Every chant is the same, and they all nick them off each other. But the ability for every single person to sing "We Hate Leeds" with such passion anywhere in Yorkshire is, is truly spectacular. It really is. Well, I bet you if Fergie was in charge of Leeds, I mean, he was so good at, you know, putting up the siege mentality. When you've got the whole of the whole country virtually saying they all hate Leeds, you'd think he could use that to his advantage. But he doesn't seem I think, to. I think, I think it would if they all, if all, most of the Leeds players didn't seem so soft. Hmm. But it's, it's, it's a different Leeds to the one that people claimed that they disliked in the 70s. Adam, Adam you need to be careful, mate, because... You're just slowly, slowly evolving into Mr. Hyatt, and before you know it, you'll be you'll be fully Rick. You'll be oh. fully Rick. Mm. Quick, what move a, on then. Well, let's let's talk about the European places then, because we'll have to talk about Manchester United, of course, with Rick and Aidy on the show this evening. One 0 over Villa, and as Rick touched on, Newcastle winning as well. Do we think that that's probably enough now for Champions League football, or A, do you still think there's work to do for both yourself and Newcastle? Or are you pretty confident that that's that's yours to stay now, Champions League? More uh, more importantly, A, have you given up on the title yet? Um, <laughs> no, not quite. Um, but, okay. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't think it's anywhere near enough. Personally, I think you know I'm I'm not at all. We've got two games coming up now. 
which I, I just cannot work out in my mind how they're going to go. First of all, Brighton away. Now, OK, we, we had a pretty tough game against Brighton at Wembley. We, we only got through on penalties. Uh, so mm. that, that's, you know, what's, how's that one going to pan out? I couldn't, couldn't tell you. And then, of course, we've got West Ham. West Ham are going to be still struggling. West Ham can be an absolute pain in your side, I find, at times. So I'll probably be happier if we can get through those two games without losing either of them. Well, United actually need six points, as do, as do Newcastle. And then there's nothing that can happen other than that. So you'd be surprised. And that's, that... even, and that's even if the teams below don't drop some yeah, points, which they're is, probably likely. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is given that everybody wins wins all their games. I think United needed nine going into the weekend, and got by hook or by crook, got past Villa, which was squeaky bum time. Thanks to Mister Lindelof, I think. Fernandez uh, looks um, like he's hit a bit of form. Well, I thought he played well, Lindelof yesterday. That's what I mean. Lindelof, if it wasn't for Lindelof, he, he, he's uh, he's certainly coming. He stepped up when he's been needed mm. with the uh, the two centre halves being out and and Luke Shaw. Yeah. Amazing centre half. That, that answers an awful lot of problems. Those two boys have done an amazing job from a United point of view. But it'd be difficult. It would be difficult to uh, to mess it up from here. And quite going on going on the seasons. Those are the four clubs that you would think deserve Champions League football. I would have thought it's difficult mm. to make a case for anyone else. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think Newcastle had a little dip, didn't they, just as they were getting towards the Carabao Cup final. How did they um, get on the Carabao Cup final? <laughs> oh, dear. What, am I, what was I thinking? Saying that? Thank you. What was Thank I thinking? Oh. I think um, Newcastle uh, pulled a masterstroke when they bought Alexander Isak, because I think he is an exceptionally good striker. I uh, wouldn't be at all surprised, or I'd love to have seen him at United. I think he's good. And I think next season he's going to get even better. But we'll see. Well, what amazes what amazes me, Aid, is that he seems to rotate Isaac and Wilson every single week. But it doesn't matter who starts because the other one comes on and scores as well. Mm. It, it's he's really got quite good something uh, something good going there as old Eddie Howe, which is quite. Um, Scary, really, considering that they're probably well ahead of Manchester City were at this stage when they had um, their money. But we're running out of time, so we'll touch on the fact that obviously Man City did get another win this have weekend. We, um, have, we, have we got time to laugh at Arsenal? Well, yes, we, it can tie in with that because we've, we've had a lot of chat about who's going to win the league. I was very much on the Arsenal uh, side of things, and I should have listened to you boys because. Are we all expecting the City train to sail into the Premier League title again now? Yeah, I think so. I think we ought to be laughing at Piers Morgan as well. It's about time I'm, somebody I'm laughed at him. I'm in a permanent state of laughing at Piers Morgan. What's your point, Eddie? <laughs> yeah, what's he done this time? <laughs> I, I think that we ought to give Manchester City a bit more credit because um, you know it, it can't be easy winning the Premier League season after season with more more than 100 breaches of the financial rules of the competition you're in. Yeah. That's, no. that's going to be tough for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it takes and, some doing more than 100 breaches, you know, in one season. I mean, that's... some doing. Yeah, it does. It does. Just not, one... Not that... Uh, just, just to clarify, Eddie, you aren't technically... The 100 breaches are spread over a 10-year period, not just in one season. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> no, well, who's going to split hairs about 10 years anyway? Minus 120 points for Manchester City. Yeah. <laughs> um, one very quick final point is that um, Graham Souness announced that he was going to leave Sky Sports. I just wanted to touch on the fact that, <laughs> that um, if you could see the faces, listeners, um, he's had a lot of people say very good things about him, as you would expect, his colleagues. Um, do we sometimes, as football fans, forget what the personality might actually be underneath what people's opinions are with football or Rick, I'll come to you first. Is it just a case of happy to see the back of him? Come on, tell me. You've got less than 30 seconds. Happy to see the back of him. Adam? I I agree. We can forget that there's a, uh, another person underneath. However, I would argue that they're paid to provide an opinion that is well-informed 
and based off a lot of things rather than just what they happen to think at the time, of which I believe Graham Souness was particularly bad at doing. Um, I hope he enjoys retirement. He did come up with some good things, but most of the time I often disagreed with what he said on the television. Just would say one one positive thing about him. He is. I would rather listen to him than the YouTube idiots that Sky seem obsessed with foisting on people at the moment. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, that I seems like a good and on that point, that you like must go. To finish. Sorry, so shut up a lot of you. I've got breaking news. I've oh. actually got breaking news. Oh, go on then. Um, we've got another club that we know we're going to play at Yeovil are going to play at the end of the year. Well, is that... the Truro City have just been promoted. All right, OK. Well, well done to Paul Watton then. We got the, we Cornwall got the Away is on. Yeah. Cornwall Away is on. Big. Good old Paul Watton. Well, that's it. Football? Bloody hell.